Home is where you feel safe. For me, home is a uh, family. Number one, uh, my parents. Let me be specific. Home is uh, a sense of belonging to a land, a country, uh, to people, to community. Home is where I feel safe, loved, and cared for. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, your weekly Lent and Easter podcast on refugee welcome in the Episcopal Church and across the United States. I'm Allison Duvall. And I'm Kendall Martin. Welcome to episode 11. Hometown is a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Welcome Ministry of the Episcopal Church. Learn more about our work on our website, EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org, and Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. This podcast is part of the Good Book Club initiative, which invites all Episcopalians to come together to read the Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostles throughout Lent and Easter 2018. You can find the daily readings, resources, and much more at goodbookclub.org. Find them on Facebook, The Good Book Club. The Good Book Club readings for this week are Acts chapter 10, verse 17 through Acts chapter 13, verse 12. This week's reflection comes from Julia Ayala Harris, who is from the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma and currently serves on the Executive Council of the Episcopal Church. We hope you enjoy this week's reflection. Can you imagine it? Word of the events at Cornelius' home get back to the church in Jerusalem, and the believers are shocked and angry with Peter. How could he possibly include those Gentiles in their community? The Holy Spirit is for us, they say, not for them, not those people. Peter patiently and methodically explains to the believers his vision where God asserts, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And how the Gentiles were covered in the Holy Spirit, just as the disciples had been. To this, the believers begin to expand their understanding that their community was to include all of God's people, even those who are the other. Peter did not have the benefit of the Book of Common Prayer or our baptismal covenant, or even Paul's letter to the Galatians, where we've come to understand that there is no Jew or Gentile, but we are all one in Christ. No, Peter was making it up as he went along. He threw away societal conventions, community norms, and acted in violation of the law when he followed the Holy Spirit. To Cornelius's home. Then Peter radically expanded the believers' notions of who was allowed in their community. Where is the Holy Spirit leading you? Who is the other around you that could be welcomed in community with you? Are there immigrants? refugees in your community? What are you willing to risk to welcome these others in your community? Are you willing to be like Peter and break social norms? 
Are you willing to break the law? As we bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ, let us also be sensitive to the sometimes difficult places that the Holy Spirit leads us. For it is the same with us as it was for the disciples. God's holy work is in action through us, through our radical welcoming of those who are different than us. For this is the kingdom of God. I really, really love this reflection. And it reminds me, Kendall, we were talking the other day about so many of the amazing people, you know, we've met through this podcasting experience. And so many of the folks we've had on the show have recognized, perhaps not spoken to directly, but recognized the countercultural and even um, the, the transgressive nature of what God calls us to as followers of Jesus. And I'm, I'm thinking especially of guests we've had on the show who, who have stood up, who continue to stand up and speak the truth, both here in the U.S., but even more so in these really volatile places around the world. And these folks who stand up and speak up even when it's terribly dangerous for them to do that. Absolutely. I, the question that really hit me hard in this reflection was the, what are you willing to risk? And mm-hmm. I too was thinking about, you know, guests we've had on this podcast that are putting themselves at risk by speaking up about this. And, yeah. you know, one of the questions that keeps coming up on this podcast and these reflections is what are you risking in the name of Jesus? Like what, what the love of Jesus, what is it calling you to do? And if we really are following Jesus and we really are loving our neighbors as ourselves and we really are welcoming the stranger, like what are we willing to do to really proclaim that? Mm -hmm. And it does mean putting yourself at risk. It does mean standing up in the face of you know, breaking social norms. It it does it it does mean bearing witness to that love in ways that are controversial. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. Thanks, Julia, for your great reflection. Listeners, last week we shared the first part of our two-part interview with Antigona Mahani, who was resettled to the U.S. from Kosovo when she was a child. If you go back another week in your podcast feed, you'll find an episode where we provided background on Kosovo and the conflict there that led to the refugee crisis of the late 1990s. If you haven't listened, we really encourage you to go back and listen to both episodes. We're going to pick back up right where we left off last week and share with you the remainder of our conversation with Antigona. What are some things that people can do to support their new neighbors who are resettled to their community to help that place feel like home? Oh my goodness, there's just so many things, you know. One specific thing that I could, you know, can I, I could just like, throw this out to you guys is get to know them. You know, if, you, if, if it's in your neighbor, knock on their door, you know, say hello to them. It takes nothing short of just a smile on their face, you know, on, on your face to change that. 
these people have lost everything and have gone through so much that when they see someone who's friendly to them, when they when they hear that welcome, it changes everything for them. It, you're building something in their brain that forever they're going to keep that. And as they grow older in that in that you know community, as they tend if they start to contribute, that becomes their home. We don't realize how much we have, how much power we have at the beginning for this new, for our new friends, our new neighbors. Uh, how much impact we can make if we only take take some time just to get to know them, and it starts it starts with us. It starts in, as individuals, and then if you really want to make a bigger impact, and then you can you know you can always go to local resettlement agencies, and, and there's just so many opportunities for you to have that direct impact, whether it's by volunteering. Uh, your time by volunteering services, donated goods. There's just so many things you can do to be involved in these people's life, and just know that you truly are making that direct impact in this in these people's life. And and one day they will come back to you and will thank you, and they probably will do something just as nice as you did for them. And and I can promise you that it, it works. It's it's an everyday. It's a, it reciprocates itself. Um, and it's our responsibility to change, to change the political climate and then the message that's being sent and what we hear um, as individuals, because we have the power in our own communities. We really do have the power to change that mindset and, and but still not allow that message that's being sent right now and to describe a group, a group of people that's so vulnerable um, and put that group of people in, in, in the spotlight that's not true. And if, especially if you know that deep in your heart, you know that, hey, maybe that's been your neighbor for a few years now and they've been nothing but great to you. You should be able to stand up for them. We owe it to, to, to our community and, and to everyone because at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. It really is the right thing to do and the humane thing to do. But we don't realize how much power we really have uh, in this people's life at the beginning. Uh, we shape, we really shape the future for them. And depending how we communicate to them or regarding you know, them it is how we pretty much we're raising you know, the bar and we're raising life for them so it's I could think of a, of a better way for you to get involved to be able to be around this group of people than to be their friend it, it just takes one conversation and all you can do is just say hello and a smile and the rest is history I'm curious especially because you came to this country as a refugee but then um, committing your life to a work in refugee resettlement what's been the most surprising thing about doing this work you know Kendall, I used to think that I'm going into this work because I'm going to change someone's life. And I didn't realize that it was actually the opposite. So that was a surprising thing for me, that they changed my life. Oftentimes, you know, we, we let our life and our, our lifestyle and our daily struggles and, and uh, challenges take over and we forget who we are. And with like every teenager that is raised in the U.S., I was there. Um, I had a pretty normal life here, childhood, and you know, and uh, for so long, I, I think I was escaping my own uh, experiences and my history that I wanted to be the typical teenager. What's wrong with that? You know, I wanted to play sports, I wanted to have friends, and the last thing I wanted to do is hear more stories about the war and, you know, and 
and be involved in that type of uh, type of work. So I intentionally sort of put that behind and and moved on, which was good because it allowed me to focus on my education. Uh, it allowed me to focus on, on moving forward, and I needed to do that, and it's healthy. But then I realized that when I was doing that, I lost a part of me. Regardless of what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go, what job title I hold, my past is my past, and it's what really is defining my, 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 my present and my future. So I wasn't going to allow that fear of remembering my, my past to, to alter my future because, honestly, I knew, I knew that deep inside I wasn't really happy and it was calling me it was like there's something that I need to do and I, I just need to give back and when it all started for me was I just remember telling the directors that I just need to be around refugees and I just honestly wanted just to like be in the same room and it sounds so strange but I had forgotten what it felt like to be in the same shoes because my life moved it was such a dynamic life I had no break to think of what happened in the past. It was just like, oh, what's my next job title? What's How much money I'm going to make? You know, it was all these questions that every young American has. And I had that. And then I realized that once I got everything, well, this is not my life. I actually, there's actually more to this. I wasn't going to retire from a job where I didn't feel like I was making an impact. But this is always like, oh, I'm just going to help these people. It's all going to be about them. But I didn't realize that they're actually doing more for me than I'm doing for them. And it was all emotional for me, obviously, you know, that emotional rewarding experience that I don't think any job in the world can give you that. When you're helping someone who has nothing to give in return, you know, it's always, we all know that that's humanitarian work. And that's for me has been the, the highest point in, in my life is, is being able to, to be able to give that. And then I got more than I deserved. And that is the hugs, the handshakes, the God bless you. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible what, what you can do. And then if, depending on what your role is, which if you're in a resettlement agency, any role is impactful to this, to this, you know, to our refugees. For instance, I always had experience in the jobs for our refugees and helping someone with their livelihood has been an incredible experience because I use that as my experience. You know, my, when we came here, my dad, I worked with the same document that had my dad's job information, my mom's jobs information, my sisters, my brother, all I had to do was go back to the year 1999 and see my dad's first job and his first income. And then I was going through like the years. So I know how important the jobs were. Um, I didn't take that job, you know, lightly. And, and we knew that when you when you help someone find that, that livelihood and find that that passion for, for these people, these people were bringing so much richness to our culture, to our workforce and to be able to find that within them it's remarkable I mean there's truly that there's people's I mean the faces you know and I could never ever will never trade that for any other experience in my life because I'm always thinking of the children I as I mentioned earlier everything that we do now will affect these children as they're growing up here so if I'm helping this family the father the mother with a job and they're able to provide 
they're, they're five children to a safe home and they're able to provide clothing and food and, and, and transportation, then I'm setting them up for, for success. I know that their kids are going to go to school. I know they're not going to miss school because, you know, they don't have clothing or they don't have the necessities that, you know, for family to live here. So as much as I thought I was doing for them, it's nothing compared to seeing the success of our clients three months, six months, a year later, coming back and saying, I am not ready to buy a car. Now I'm ready to buy my home or moving to another apartment or all these life's expansions that they were, they were seeking. It was all as a result of their first job. And I was part of that. To me, that, that was the most surprising. It was like a triple effect. You know, you, you do one thing now and then next thing you know, they're creating a whole another life on, on their own. And you had something to do with that, even if it's just a one, even if you help them with an application, even if you help them with taking them to the job interview, even if you've provided the clothing for the job interview. So it's, I say the little things in life, but you know, for them, it's, it's everything they ever received. And to have, to be able to say this to my children one day, my grandchildren, I am so lucky. Because then I said, hey, I, I, I was able to be part of this, um, this person's life, and they allow me to do that. You know, you have to consider yourself lucky that you're able to share that journey with them. It's, you know, it's not every day you get to be part of someone's life and for them to completely hand the life and you're making the decisions you make because it's going to work out for your schedule or this is your shift now, this is your wage. Um, those are the most important um, part of, of, of my job that I have received that I was so surprised. It's, again, it's such a dynamic role that they do forget. You, you're busy giving and, and working with them. But then as you look back and you're like, hey, I was part of that. And you then you see them late, years later and then they're doing so well and they're not a refugee anymore. They're community members and they're your friends. Thank you so much. I think refugee resettlement before was just like, let's help these people get a, get them situated, integrate to the community. But now it's it's another level. It's a whole other level of a job added to it. You're not just helping them. You're also like advocating. You're also a warrior. You're a bystander. You know, you're, you're and that's that's something that I want people to know as as us that we do this job that we have a huge role that we play because we're able to stand to people who are not being educated or, or lack or not receiving the right education when it comes to refugee resettlement, the process. So I think it's everyone's duty who is in, in this work that we make sure we continue the fight by advocating in the right channels and avenues. That's something that I, I really want us to, to continue to do that in the midst of, you know, this political climate that we're in. Again, before we were so lucky just to be able to get refugees and the goal was to get them acclimated and integrated and working. Well, that's that's the process and that's one aspect of it. But now we're, we're dealing with so much more and it, it takes a lot as, as caseworkers, as, as part of the resettlement agency um, you know, individual that now you're finding yourself fighting for these people. It shouldn't be. 
but that's okay, I think, because we have found a whole new voice that we never thought we had. And I think I see this with many of my friends, my colleagues, the community members that I've been able to meet. They always say the same thing. I found a voice that I never knew I had. And I think it's, it's really thanks to, to, to our refugees, to our new friends, to our new Americans who are giving us that. We're, we're able to protect, protect the refugee resettlement that's been going been going on in the U.S. for years now, you know, it's something that this country is found on, you know, we know that. I know it's, it's something that we shouldn't have to deal with, but honestly, I think this is what makes our job more challenging, and I, I wouldn't want it any other way, you know, if I'm able to, if I'm, if, if I'm able to educate someone, whether it's on the process itself, or what it's like for someone to be a refugee, or what happens after they come here. Well, then I'm, I'm, I will do that. That's actually that's actually makes me very happy because you are curious. You want to know. That's yeah. I will teach you that, and I will give you all the resources. So it's we really play a huge role um, in the community and, and the world. If you are in this work environment. So to everyone who does this work, you're not just a caseworker. You are. You really are a warrior. You're fighting for a cause that it's, it's being pushed back. But isn't it incredible how much it's almost like power you get when, when you're in the community and you, you're doing the speaking engagements and you, you're giving, you're saying things and you're changing people's perspectives. That's, the, that's how much power you have as an individual in, in this line of work. And a lot of people forget that. And so for people who want to get involved in this work, need to know that this is the type of role you play, mm-hmm. you know? You get to be someone's hero. And it's, isn't that incredible? Because like, we don't, what job allows you to have that? I couldn't think of any career uh, other than the fictional characters, you know? But this is real. In reality, you, you get to be someone's hero. And I didn't know that until I was faced with that. I was with my clients whether it was at the meeting, whether it was a job interview, there were things said that was, you know, a little unfair or unjust. And if it wasn't for me being there, perhaps that person may have not gotten the job. Perhaps that person may have been discriminated. Day-to-day things that we're able to, to, to do and contribute to those people's life, eventually um, to our community. Our work is not one-dimensional. You know, I always say that. Oftentimes people think, you only work with refugees and that's it. You don't care about the community. That's not true at all. The refugees are part of the community. They are part of our population. And they're contributing by working, by open businesses, by giving us cultural differences, by diversifying our communities, by bringing languages, by bringing us cultures. So no, it's not one-dimensional. I don't just care for one group of people in our society. I care for the whole community because this is where I live, and I want I want to live in a good community where everyone's accepted. So we're going to change that mindset. Whether it's one Facebook post, one share, one tweet, however, one email, one presentation. Um, it's truly everyone's responsibility to share the success, to share the, 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 the stories, the good stories um, of what's going on in our communities. Listeners, thank you for joining us this week. We're so grateful for each and every one of you. 
Before we let you go, we've got some news to share with you this week. Yes, listeners, every year World Refugee Day is observed on June 20th. This is an important day to celebrate the strength, resilience, and contributions of refugees to communities all over the world, and for us to deepen our commitment to the work of welcome and refugee resettlement. I love World Refugee Day. Yes, me too. Listeners, this year we're putting out a number of resources, which you can find on our website, episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash World Refugee Day. And we really encourage you to participate in or organize something to celebrate the day. It could be a small gathering, including prayers of the people for refugees and displaced persons in your Sunday worship. You can take up a special Refugee Sunday collection to support EMM. You can host a film viewing and so much more. Absolutely. We're trying to provide you all with as much as possible so that you can have a really special World Refugee Day celebration this year. And this is an excellent opportunity to get to know what's going on in your community to celebrate refugees. Maybe there's a picnic, a concert, there could be a shared meal somewhere. So so take off your earbuds, stop listening to us, go meet your new neighbors and support events already going on in your community. And one thing you can do for World Refugee Day is invite others to join in the work of Welcome by making a donation to Episcopal Migration Ministries. Remember, no gift is too small and all are put to use to welcome our newest neighbors. Visit EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Support refugee artists, musicians, and entrepreneurs this World Refugee Day, just like our theme song composer, Abraham Awinda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahamawindamusic.com. And tune in next week and tell your friends about the Hometown Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are EMM Refugees. Until next week, peace be with you and all those you consider home.